htj.tax, the international tax firm for six, seven, and eight-figure investors and entrepreneurs who are living that international life. Are you ready? All right. So welcome, 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 htj.tax. We do these live streams every week. And for those who couldn't make it, if you have colleagues or friends that wanted to be on and could make it, please let them know that it is being recorded. It is on our website, hg.tax, but also wherever you get your favorite podcasts, whether that's YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, iTunes, wherever, you're probably going to find it. So it will be available within 24 to 48 hours after we complete this live stream. So we have the honor and the privilege of welcoming back Mr. Damien Malone, accountant extraordinaire based in Dublin. And for the first time, we have Emma Richardson, immigration attorney, to, uh, to respond to some of the questions that some of you did submit in advance that were kind of immigration related. And so it was outside of our skill set. So we got Emma on board to, to point you guys in the right direction. As always, we're legally required to say that we're not giving advice. So don't think that you're getting uh, like actionable intelligence here. What we're doing is perhaps providing you with the key principles, the key ideas and key issues that you would need to consider as you find your preferred uh, professional, your preferred accounting professional, your preferred immigration attorney to, to work with. So again, we're talking general principles. This is not really advice if you consider it entertainment or educational but it's not advice so just kind of covering that base so without further ado i will hand you over to damien and emma you could please introduce yourself i know you guys have a few introductory remarks and some fantastic slides to share before we go into the q a portion uh, i would say ladies first so emma over to you Thank you very much um, and lovely to join you all. Um, so just to give you a little bit of background, I'm obviously a lawyer here in Dublin and um, practicing in the area of immigration and employment. And um, so hopefully can steer you in the right direction in terms of any queries you might have with regard to coming to Ireland, be it to live and potentially retire in Ireland or alternatively to live and work in Ireland. Um, and the various options that are open to you. Um, it is one of those areas that um, thankfully Ireland is known to be welcoming and we certainly like to welcome here. And as a result, some of our rules and regulations around immigration permissions and work permissions are relatively amenable and it's quite practical and generally the view is people coming to Ireland, it's good for Ireland, it brings business to Ireland and that drives growth. So that's what Ireland wants. Um, so in terms of, I have a few slides as Darren mentioned, and I will, I'm sure if I can share my screen here with you. So do I have ability to share screen? I do. So. So is that sharing there now? Give me just a thumbs up, Darren. Yeah, perfect. Um, so in terms of what we can do, so the first option, I'm just going to touch upon people that may like to retire to Ireland. So not necessarily intending to work when they come to Ireland, 
but have you know potentially looking at moving to a nice a nice place in the south coast of Ireland um, with some nice scenery. So in terms of the requirements there, for people looking to retire to Ireland, there is the option to obtain, it's called an immigration permission stamp zero. And all that is required, you do need to go through an application process, but you do need to um, demonstrate effectively that you won't become a burden on the state. So that you have an income of 50,000 per year, that you have access to a lump sum to cover sudden major expenses. So what that is looking to cover is to obtain this stamp, you don't necessarily need to buy property in Ireland, but what they're looking for in terms of the lump sum coverage is that in the event something happened, you could buy accommodation, you could provide for yourself. Um, in terms of the application process, it is a, a letter application, it's not a detailed application form, it's a letter together with supporting documentation. Um, both from a local accountant in your own jurisdiction to verify effectively your own personal accounts, together with um, supporting documents in terms of income. So typically what I would see clients coming in is that income is coming from a pension that they have. And so that rolling income and then they look to get their stamp zero reside in Ireland. Ultimately, it is not one that leads you to citizenship. It just gives you the power to reside in Ireland. Um, the other option that people will look at in this situation, and this actually gives you the potential to both just live in Ireland, but also potentially the benefit of working in Ireland, and that's our immigrant investor programme. So that is where you invest in Ireland in return for um, residency rights for both you and your dependents. Um, and that's dependence typically up to the age of 23. Um, there's no requirement to actually reside in Ireland once you get this. Um, the only requirement is to spend 24 hours in each year in Ireland. Um, where I have seen this and what it is most attractive, a lot of parties that go this route, they're really looking to secure for the next generation. So potentially their children to give them residency rights in another country. Um, if they do reside here on a long term basis, ultimately it can lead to citizenship um, and there's a couple of options how you in, invest in Ireland. The most common one is the enterprise investment. So that's investing a million in an Irish enterprise um, for three years um, the, typically they're they're low yield investments. So they really are just the benefit of um, having a home for it. Each investment is approved by the government at the time of your application. The other alternatives, less popular investment in an investment fund or the real estate investment trust. Um, neither of those are as popular as the straightforward 1 million investment. Um, and the other one that I have found to be quite popular and popular on the basis that it's a lesser investment amount and that is your endowment amount. So for the purpose of the endowment, you in you donate 500,000 to some worthy cause in Ireland. It could be a charity. The most recent one I had was to an educational institution, a third level educational institution. And in that case, and one of the benefits, if you have a group of interested parties, is it lowers the investment amount again or the donation amount to 400,000 per, 
person. So if you have five or more applicants, and in that case, what they did was they donated five Steinway pianos to a third level institution and they hit their donation and um, all got their residency for them and their dependents. Um, so there are, it's certainly an attractive way um, to do it. It is, uh, understandably, it's becoming more and more regulated. So there is a due diligence process. You will need to get your local, a local reputable accountancy practice to effectively verify all your records and they in turn want to see the path of funds that come into Ireland. So where they're coming from and um, that that comes in in a, a verifiable um, manner. Um, the alternative to come to Ireland is to come and work in Ireland. Um, and that may be to come and get a job with an Irish company already established here. Um, or what I have had a lot of people who, if they've successful businesses in their own jurisdiction, what they will look to do is incorporate a company in Ireland and from that then employ themselves through their own entity in Ireland and get a work permit. Um, the one thing I just flag if you're looking at that route is you will need to also hire somebody locally as well. For any work permit in Ireland, you need to maintain a 50-50 ratio of EEA to non-EEA workers. Um, but they don't have to be equal in status. So typically what I've had is, you know, someone employs themselves and hires an assistant to work two or three days a week, and that meets the 50-50 requirement. Um, the different permits, again, different requirements for each one. By far the most popular is the critical skills work permit, and certainly where people are looking to relocate. Um, it requires a salary of um, 64,000. And if you cross that 64,000 euro per annum salary, it is deemed a highly skilled um, job. The alternative is if it's on a lower salary is that the role is listed on the highly skilled list. And our highly skilled list is typically areas that we have a shortage. So they actually only updated it today. Um, and it has now, given the challenges with recruitment in the healthcare sector. Um, it now includes physios, occupational therapists, um, but traditionally it would have been aimed at the ICT um, technology engineering sector. And so there we would have a high number of Indian nationals working in Ireland, um, highly qualified in tech, but potentially on salaries of 32,000 um, euro per annum. So, um, it is quite achievable in terms of critical skills work permit. The alternative, a general work permit, the disadvantage to this that I would flag for most people is that you need to advertise and effectively prove you can't hire locally. And that's why you're getting this general work permit. So it doesn't tend to be as attractive for somebody who may be just looking out of choice to relocate to Ireland. Um, if you're looking at more short-term scenarios, something like our intra-company transfer permit and um, the maximum you'll get it for is five years. So what you do is, you know, if you have a, a group company established in Ireland that you may transfer and relocate to Ireland for that period of time. Um, and then the atypical permission is really a very short stay, but it allows you to work for the 90 days. And um, so I'm in the world of hybrid working, it may be something that people, you know, want to come and just 
work in Ireland for 90 days and return home to their, their home jurisdiction. Um, the advantages of things like the critical skills work permit and the general work permit is time spent in the country will count towards citizenship. So when you apply for citizenship in Ireland, you need to have been resident in the country for five out of the previous nine years. So these types of work permits will generally, um, people will move ultimately to citizenship. So they're not in a, a revolving world of reapplying for work permits every couple of years, it does transition across. Um, so as I said at the outset, Ireland by and by welcoming, we want people to come to Ireland, we want people to bring money to Ireland, to invest in Ireland, um, and certainly our immigrant investor programme that has driven some very successful projects in Ireland, effectively often projects that government want to promote but don't necessarily have the funds. So there have been some major um, regeneration of certain parts of Ireland by virtue of the immigrant investor programme. We have injected some money into social housing um, at, through the investor programme. Um, and similarly, uh, our nursing home uh, sector was one of the most popular because again, it was an area where we were lacking. Um, so if you are interested in any of those areas, you know, it certainly can give you more guidance on that and would be happy to um, provide more advice and more details on that. So I will pass over to Damien who can give you some of the more detailed stuff in terms of taxation. Thanks, Emma. That was great. Um, I suppose the, 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 the bit of overlap that, uh, that, that we would see with that, Emma, is um, fairly regularly, I suppose, we would assist with um, those submissions to the department um, for uh, vouching, I suppose, um, people that are coming to Ireland, their, 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 their maintainable income sources and so forth for those applications. Um, so I'll just share my screen here and just get into... Um, into my own slides here. Uh, let me see, there we go. So guys, uh, Damien Malone is my name. I'm the founder and managing partner of Malone & Co. And we're, I suppose, by Ireland standards, a mid-size um, accounting, audit and tax practice. And um, we also have a, a separately branded corporate service um, operation on the go. Um, and, and that predominantly um, assists and supports, I suppose, private client foreign direct investment into Ireland. So I suppose on a day-in, day-out basis, the team that work in that division of the business are working with people um, from overseas who want to come over and either live in Ireland or set up um, business operations in Ireland. And of course, they're, um, they're, they're, they're usually, they're, they're usually, the two are usually linked. So just to start off, just to run through what the taxes, so what tax you actually have to deal with when you come to Ireland. So obviously the main one um, is income tax. So, so when you come to Ireland and if you're going to work in Ireland or whatever, you pay your income tax. And that's really just three different forms of, of direct tax on income. So we have PAY, which is called P or pay as you earn, uh, USC, the universal social charge, which is a tax that was brought in in our recessionary years and unfortunately is still there. We haven't managed to, 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 to get rid of it. And then we have uh, PRSI, which is our social insurance, pay-related social insurance. So each are taxed indiv individually and separately to the other. And it's quite complicated to, um, I suppose, when if you're uh, a director or if you're going to be an employee and you see an Irish pay slip for the first time, it's actually quite 
difficult to understand and follow the calculations and all of that because of how complicated a system we have. But I suppose what I would, what I always say as a, as a good way to, to get an understanding of it for a single person earning more than 35,000 or with more than 35,000 of taxable income in Ireland, you're going to be paying give or take 50% on every euro um, above the 35,000. So it is quite severe and it is quite significant over here. Um, our corporate tax is obviously um, a fair bit more advantageous and, uh, and obviously we, uh, we, 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 our reputation in Ireland um, for attracting foreign direct investment is all around that. And we have our headline rate at 12.5%. And um, we do have a couple of other rates that, that we, we have a 25% rate then for um, companies that would have passive income such as rents and other investment types and so forth. But then we also then have some lower rates um, with the uh, what we call the knowledge development box, which was an, an initiative that was brought out in recent times and all that as well. But the headline rate is 12.5%. We have our capital gains tax or CGT, which is really disposal or uh, gains on disposal of, um, of assets. Um, and the headline rate for that is 33%. Again, we do have some uh, exemptions and some differences with that, which we'll touch on later. Capital acquisitions tax is gifts and inheritances. And the headline rate with that as well is 33%. And um, we have a VAT. So for people coming to America that where, where there is no VAT, this is a, a, essentially a consumer tax, something similar to your sales tax. And um, it's actually quite compl uh, complicated for anybody who comes to, to, to live in Ireland and wants to set up a business for the first time with that. And we have um, a number of differing um, rates with that, depending on the nature of the services supplied and so forth. Um, stamp duty is, a, is really a, a tax on transactions in Ireland, and obviously anyone coming to Ireland to, that will buy a home uh, will obviously have stamp duty to pay on, the, on, on acquiring the home. Um, for residential property, it's 1% up to a million euros, and it's 2% um, for transactions over a million euros on residential property. For anything commercial-based, it's, it's, um, it's a lot more significant. It's currently at 7.5%. So, um, just to, I suppose, be aware of that. Then we have a tax that was introduced maybe, what, five, six, seven years ago, um, and it's the, the, the first time we've had an actual tax on property. So um, every property owner has to pay this annual tax, which is linked to a, 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 the, the supposed market value um, of a property. So um, if you're coming to Ireland and you decided you wanted to live in some of the upmarket areas in South Dublin and so forth, this is actually quite a significant burden that attaches to uh, valuable properties. So um, I suppose be mindful of it. So then for people that, um, for, you know, for um, non-nationals who, um, who are coming to Ireland, so there's three things really that determine um, the extent to which one is charged to tax in Ireland. And they are person's uh, residency status, they're what we call ordinarily residency status, and their domicile. So a person is resident in Ireland for tax if they're here for 183 days or more in the calendar year, or crucially, 280 days between two years. So on average, then, if a person is going to, to come to Ireland or have ties with Ireland, they can't really be in the country for more than 140 uh, days if they, uh, you know, if 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 they want to avoid, um, you know, being caught under Irish residency rules. Um, where an individual may be resident in Ireland but resident somewhere else also, we have different features that we look at under the, under the treaties and under case law and so forth, which are based around where a person would have their more, I suppose, their more uh, central 
uh, personal and economic interests and ties and where they would have a permanent home available. So it is possible for a person to be a resident in two countries and we look at these other factors then to, I suppose, crucially decide is where are they actually resident. So the concept of ordinary, ordinarily resident just means that if you're resident for three consecutive years in Ireland, you automatically become ordinarily resident. Um, then the, the, the concept of domicile, which is a, an, an important co uh, concept for anybody coming to Ireland from overseas, generally where you're, you know, where you're born is your, is your, is your place of domicile. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very difficult to change this. And I, th I think the example we gave before, Darren, that factors that they look at is the only real ways that cases have been made as to where you can change this is if, you've, if you're so sure that you're, you, you know, you're, you, you, you've, you, you want to cease your ties with a country and you're going to you have, your, you have your graveyard plot picked out and all of that outside of the country that you want to cease ties with. These are the factors that, um, that they've looked at before when one wants to essentially change where their domicile is for tax purposes. So the um, the the domicile um, the, the 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 concept of domicile is important, and um, because obviously in Ireland we have what we call a remittance basis of taxation, which is a very advantageous um, a very advantageous thing in our tax code for people who are not Irish nationals but who want to come and live and work in Ireland. And really, what this means is is that they're only taxed in Ireland on Irish source income, so local income from an employment or from a business that they would set up. And crucially, only their foreign income to the extent that they remit it into Ireland. What this means is that they spend it in Ireland or to bring it into um, Irish bank accounts. So in theory and in practice, you could have a wealthy, uh, a wealthy non-national come to Ireland that has investments and business interests all over the world. And really none of that income is liable to tax in Ireland if it's not remitted in, if it's, if it's, if it's kept outside of Ireland. Um, we have a distinction between what's called income and capital funds, whereby if you've accumulated wealth essentially prior to um, taking up residence in Ireland, you can actually bring prior capital that you've already generated um, from uh, the time you took up residence in Ireland, and that's actually not taxable uh, when you bring it in. So um, it's the distinction then going forward between what was actually pr uh, capital that you earned and that wealth that you generated prior to taking up residence in Ireland and then your ongoing income from your from your investments and from your business interests and so forth. And we have a remittance basis then for capital gains as well. So foreign capital gains are generally only taxed if you're non-domiciled in Ireland to the extent that they are remitted into Ireland. For, for someone who comes to live in Ireland and take up residence in Ireland from an inheritance perspective, you're generally not caught from inheritance tax in Ireland unless you're resident for five consecutive years in Ireland or unless there's a couple of other scenarios that you could be where it's Irish situate property or the person who you've received the, the inheritance from um, was, you know, was resident themselves at the time of death in Ireland. So again, generally it, it, for someone in the first five years, it, 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 there, there shouldn't be once it's a bit of planning is done uh, that there would be inheritance tax um, capital acquisitions tax, as it's called, um, should they come into an inheritance. So just from a filings perspective in Ireland, so anyone thinking of setting up um, a business or an operation in Ireland um, or someone coming to live in Ireland that has, um, you know, has obviously investments and so forth. So the income tax um, uh, regime in Ireland, so generally you have till the end of October each year to file your return for the preceding year. So in October 2022, you'd be expected to file your, uh, your tax return for 2021 by that time. So it's called a Form 11 
Um, and again, a big part of the tax compliance um, that we would do between now and October is around all of that for our client base. For people who want to come over and set up a corporate, so to set up a company, obviously to avail of the, the lower tax rate and profits and all of that, um, uh, generally how that works is you, you, you select your accounting period, you have, disc uh, you, you have discretion over that more or less, and you file your annual return of corporate uh, profits on the 23rd day by the ninth month post the financial period end. So let's just say you had a, a 31st of December 21 um, accounting period for your company. You'd file your, 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 or you'd be due to file your corporation tax return by the 23rd of September this year. So there's actually quite a gap uh, by the time the income is actually earned and when the actual return to declare that income is due to be filed. We also have a preliminary tax regime. And um, so after your first year, when you, uh, you know, when you get into the Irish system, you do have a preliminary tax obligation where you, you, uh, you, you make a payment on account essentially based on uh, one of a number of ways to calculate based on the extent of your liabilities and if you're a company, the size of your company. So for VAT, so if you go into um, business of your own accord when you come to Ireland, you automatically assume the role of um, being an agent for the Irish tax office as regards VAT is concerned because you have once you are going to sell in excess of certain thresholds, you, you have an obligation to register for VAT and collect VAT on behalf of the Irish government. So that's really a bi-monthly um, bi exercise when you're starting out, and it can become four-monthly, six-monthly, or annual uh, once your pattern of trade is established. And again, our uh, general, I suppose, accounting and compliance department, um, our bread and butter would be doing those VAT returns for our clients uh, month in and month out and that. Um, if you're going to employ staff or if you're going to set up a company and employ yourself, you obviously have a payroll that needs to be operated. And a couple of years ago, we brought in what's called PAY modernization, where this is all done in real time. So essentially, when you have a payroll in operation, you actually report the, the actual payroll figure. So the salary that you take and the tax due on, the, on, on that salary uh, in real time, essentially. And then you make a monthly payment to the tax office um, for that. Um, as regards, I suppose, the compliance um, the compliance around tax monitoring and tax collection and all of that. So we do have a number of, I suppose, things to be very wary and, and mindful of. And um, obviously, if you're later filing your tax returns um, for income tax and corporation tax, you can be just hit with what we call a surcharge, which is a flat percentage uh, based on an actual liability. It can also be interest imposed. And then there's other fixed type penalties that's there as well. And I suppose for more serious cases, when there's a, a, a revenue audit or worse again, where there's a revenue investigation into, um, into someone's tax affairs, you can um, that lead to possible um, uh, publication and indeed prosecution in the Irish course. The publication is where the tax uh, owing is in, a, uh, is in excess of a certain amount, your name and the amount gets published in the paper. So obviously, um, key there is just to make sure you, 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 you engage somebody who will keep you compliant and make sure things are, things are done in, in a timely manner. And generally then you don't have any difficulty in Ireland. Just briefly from a social security perspective. And um, so we have both employer and employee PRSI. Employer PRSI is really where you're employing staff that aren't, that isn't yourself essentially in a company scenario. Um, and that is, it has now become quite a significant extra cost to anybody that is employing staff in Ireland. It's just over 11% at this moment in time. So if you're going to employ somebody in your business in Ireland, 
and really of this 11 odd percent extra of a cost in most cases um, to, um, to, to pay. And that's going to increase over the next couple of years as well. And if you're self-employed, so if you come over and don't set up as a company, you actually pay your PRSI annually at the time of doing your, 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 your tax return that we mentioned um, that we mentioned previously. Um, the PRSI itself is broken down into these classes. So we've different classes or different types of this PRSI. And depending on the class that you fall into, that determines the, um, the state benefits in Ireland, essentially, that you, that you have entitlement to. So we've quite a few different classes, but the two main ones that you would come across that would be of relevance are Class A and Class S. And Class A is generally for self-employed people um, are for um, uh, directors of companies that would have a controlling interest in those companies. Um, and, and, and of course, as well, if you have a controlling interest in a company um, that you're a director of, you don't have to pay the extra 11% um, employer PRSI on your payroll through, um, through that. Um, I suppose I've just listed here what some of the differences between the two are. So in Class S, you don't get illness benefit, carers benefit, health and safety benefit, and um, occupational uh, injuries benefit. With Class A and Class S, both the main ones that I've listed there that you get are job seekers benefit, maternity benefit, and of course, the, the, the state pension. So you do get some level of those benefits with both Class A and Class S, um, and that's essentially where the money goes. So the fear aside that you pay, and um, that's deducted at your wages or that you pay um, at the end of the year, uh, on your Form 11, on your income tax return, it goes to fund, I suppose, what gets paid out from that. If you can't work, which is job seekers benefit, or if you're um, family planning and having kids or so forth, and when you reach retirement age. So just a, a few final points just that I have here, just a flag that, 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 that could always be useful to know and maybe of interest to anybody looking to come over and live in Ireland and set up a little operation in Ireland. We have a very advantageous three-year corporation tax exemption. So this is relevant to businesses that could potentially employ people on the ground in Ireland. And this has the effect of the, the um, essentially the employer peer aside that you pay on those wages can be credited against your corporation tax bill. So in theory, you could actually have a business operating in Ireland that doesn't have to pay any corporate tax profits for three years. And we've, uh, you know, we've worked with quite a few businesses who have been able to, um, obviously, you know, had staff on the ground in Ireland, we were able to avail of this concession for them. We do have a fairly um, nasty, um, uh, what's called BIK or benefit in kind regime in our tax code. And really what this has the effect of doing is if you have a, a company arrangement and your company is paying perks on your behalf, such as, let's say, your medical insurance or is providing you with a vehicle to drive around and all of that, that this tax kicks in and it is quite nasty. So just to be aware of that, there are some little exemptions that we can get value out of for our clients um, you know, with, uh, you know, to, to, to navigate around this as well. And it would be important to take advice um, from a tax advisor and uh, anybody that is thinking of setting up a business in Ireland as to what you can do and how one can structure their, their company and what's in their company as tax efficiently as possible. Probably the most advantageous relief we have in Ireland at this moment in time is around pension contributions. And whether you're going to be self-employed or better again, like most of our clients would be in a company structure where we can set up these very advantageous executive pension schemes that um, you know, um, significant pension contributions can be funded out of company profits in a very tax efficient and compliant manner. Um, it's, it, it's one way for any business that is going to 
uh, make any profits of significance, I suppose, to manage and control uh, how those profits um, can be um, can be sheltered from a from a tax perspective. For entrepreneurial um, people who uh, may set up businesses with the potential of the businesses um, being sold um, in the years to come, um, marketable businesses, tech companies, and the like, um, the um, we've quite advantageous reliefs there called entrepreneurial relief and retirement relief, which really give um, in return the retirement relief scenario, there's no tax on potential sale of a, um, of a business. And with entrepreneurial relief, there's a reduced 10% rate on, uh, on, on the shares of a company that would qualify for this. So again, for entrepreneurial people that may have a business that could potentially be sold down the road. Um, we do a lot of work then down below with the Irish um, holding company arrangements and structures. And again, the, um, this is better again in that you can potentially, for entrepreneurial people, you can potentially sell uh, investment companies and there's no capital gains tax uh, at holding company level with that. And of course, then we do some international residence planning then where we can potentially get some of the, or get all of the, the, the proceeds, in fact, of successful sales out very tax efficiently with um, a bit of careful residence and planning for the individuals concerned. And, and finally, then just to touch on with the, 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 what's called SARP relief, the special assignee uh, relief program. And this is for essentially relatively high earning people who would come over to take up um, senior positions in Irish companies and essentially a, a certain part of their income and they can get excluded from the charge to um, the charge to Irish tax. So in practice, this would typically maybe, I suppose as a rule of thumb, maybe say 25 to maybe 35 or 40% of what the income tax uh, and the personal tax exposure would be on the same salary if this relief wasn't there. But really, I, I suppose it's limited to coming over to take up employment um, in relatively senior positions in Irish companies. Um, so that's it for me. So, uh, so some points to note there is that what I would see for anybody thinking of um, coming to live and maybe get into um, or set up a little business operation uh, on the ground in Ireland, guys. Fantastic. Comprehensive, as always. Deeply appreciated. So we've seen some questions come through. Unfortunately, we may not have time to, you know, touch on every question that was asked, but we'll do our best to cover as much as we can within the next uh, 30 minutes or so. So the first two are immigration related. So probably Emma, this is probably better handled by you. So the first question is, if someone has an American or Canadian passport, how long can they stay in Ireland if they have no work permit or investment visa or whatever? If on entry into Ireland, they will be given a 90 day stamp. So they don't need mm -hmm. to apply for any visa in advance. That'll just be given at immigration at the airport for a Canadian and American nationals. Right. And kind of following on from that, of course, uh, the Republic of Ireland and UK, they have a, a common travel arrangement or agreement. And if you enter that same person with uh, a US or Canadian passport, they enter the UK, they may be given permission to stay up for uh, 180 days. So with the CTA, how does that work? Um, the CTA only applies to Irish or UK citizens. I see. So they won't mm -hmm. have the benefit of that. And um, so typically 
you know, you could travel to the UK from Ireland on a, your 90 day, but your 90 days in Ireland mm -hmm. stops and restarts when you re-enter. Gotcha. Okay. That's great to know. Next question. Someone is asking about, they're using the term golden visa. Is the investment visa that you described in, in great detail, is that also known as a golden visa? Yeah, that would be the, our immigrant yeah. investor program or IIP for short, um, is the same as the golden visa program. Okay, understood. So someone is asking about it, but of course you went into it in great detail in your presentation. So uh, no sense diving into it again. Uh, this one, we're gonna move on to taxes. So Damien, how does, and, and again, you covered this in, in your presentation as well. Yeah, we, we covered that. What I would say, what I would say, Darren, yeah. just, um, and what's always, yeah. uh, what people sometimes don't realize is it's actually a mm -hmm. self-assessed process. So it's not like the, mm -hmm. the tax office tells you this is where your tax resident. It's up to you right. essentially to self-assess. And what obviously what happens in practice is you do it in conjunction with your, with your accountant and your tax advisor. Um, as to where you are tax resident. So um, we, we would have like the, the Irish authorities would have um, for obviously some of our higher earning uh, taxpayers um, that are, uh, are, are, you know, our Irish mm. citizens that are that with that, they'd have a, a, a department that would monitor their movements. So if, mm. if it is, if it is a case that someone with quite significant levels of income and means, um, they would generally uh, maintain some sort of travel record as to where mm -hmm. they spend their days over the course of a year. And that's typically the type of evidence that would be required in the event of a query raised by the tax office. So, so you would right. typically use an Excel spreadsheet. Um, gotcha. But it's, it's a self-declaration self process on your right. tax return. There's a sequence of questions that your tax advisor will answer on your behalf. One of those being, uh, one of those being uh, you know, are you resident in the, in the, in the current year? Same way, right, are you so ordinarily resident and are you of Irish domicile? If it's the case you're not of Irish domicile, you have to, um, you have to declare where you are a national. And if it's the case mm -hmm. you're not actually of, of our uh, tax resident in Ireland, you now have to declare where you are actually a tax resident and what your local tax reference number is in that jurisdiction if you're filing an Irish tax mm -hmm. return. So it has become a lot more comprehensive over the years, the, uh, mm -hmm. the extent of the information that's required on the annual tax return filing in Ireland. Yeah. Oh, okay. So this was the following question, which was around how does someone register as being non-domicile in it's Ireland? The, it's, it's the very same yeah. process. So it, it, right. it, in practice, what you do is you tick the, or mm -hmm. you say no on the, on the tax return and that's mm -hmm. the extent of it. And it's only then mm -hmm. if it's a case down the road, if something happens and the tax office uh, you know, profile you or get information on your circumstances and decide to to, to query this or challenge you on it, that you get into mm -hmm. a whole sort of debacle then as to trying to uh, substantiate the, the declaration that you've made on your tax return about your domicile status. Okay, so like yeah. to summarize now. So in, in terms of the first part of this person's question, sorry, we didn't read it out in full for those who are listening and watching. So the, the first part of the question asked was, how does someone trigger tax residence in Ireland? And of course, Damien did cover that when he spoke about the, the days test, which could be as low as 140 days if you look at it over two years, as well as a, a basically a center of life, you know, uh, a center of life test that shows whether you, your, your center of vital interest lie, lie in Ireland. Now, if it is that you do trigger residence, then tax residence, then the question becomes whether you 
domicile or non-domicile, and that'll be a test of facts and circumstances that you would go through on the tax return itself. So it's not something like in some other European jurisdictions where you apply for it up front. No, when you're filing your self-assessment, then by answering the questions uh, as factually as you can, it may lead to you being uh, granted that non-DOM status. Am I summarizing it accurately? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, gotcha. Right, and moving on from that, the next question is in some other European jurisdictions. So for example, well, the Southern European countries, so Portugal, which has the NHS, which has the Beckham Law. We have an echo, so I'm just gonna mute somebody here. So please, can you stay on me? Thank you, right, you did it yourself. Okay, right, so uh, uh, Spain has Beckham Law and Italy has its flat tax as well. So under those regimes, you you pay tax on income that arises from within the jurisdiction, assuming you're tax resident there, and not in anything that you earn outside. However, you can subsequently bring it in and not be taxed. But that's not the same in Ireland. Am I am I correct? Yeah, yeah. you're correct. Um, you're correct, Darren. If it's if it's income in the year of assessment that you're resident in Ireland, you bring it into Ireland, you will be taxed on that income. If it's capital or wealth generated prior to when you took up residence in Ireland, that should be okay. Once you can clearly distinguish uh, that it is wealth or capital essentially generated prior to taking up residence in Ireland. Um, so yeah, but but yeah, if you have if you have ongoing annual income, periodic income, and you are bringing that into Ireland to fund your lifestyle or whatever, uh, that uh, that would be caught uh, that would be caught for tax in Ireland. Okay, so year of assessment. So say I've been. I just want to follow this just to make sure that we understand. So if someone has been non-domiciled but still tax resident in Ireland for say three years, and yeah. income was earned outside or income investment returns or whatever outside of Ireland in year one, can that income that was earned in year one be brought into Ireland in year three? Well, not if they were resident in Ireland in year one. So if it was okay. the year before mm -hmm. they, 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 they became resident in Ireland, yes, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. not uh, but not, uh, not not from the first year on or on thereafter. Okay, perfect. And that perhaps leads to some sort of planning opportunity if they can create Absolutely. some sort of structure yeah. that will yeah. capture. We, we, we'd go through segregate. their affairs and distinguish yeah. distinguish what yeah. wealth was generated prior to be, uh, taking up residence in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And we'd bring essentially that pot into Ireland to do the initial funding with what they, with what they need to, 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 to get set up and get housed and so forth. Okay, wonderful. Next question is a crypto question. We always get those really popular. So if you're one of the few people that had gains on crypto this year, and you know, is there a distinction between the tax treatment of an investor? So for example, just capital gains as opposed to someone who is actively trading? And if so, what is the difference? What is the distinction under yeah. Irish tax rules? So, so, so just let me just answer the first part there, which is how are mm -hmm. gains on crypto taxed? So tax mm -hmm. the same as gains on any asset or on any other currency, essentially, where it's a capital gains tax transaction generally. Yeah. Now, obviously, with crypto then as well, you have, um, I suppose, secondary benefits and gains that can accrue where you're 
obviously swapping one for the other and all of that. And technically, like each of those is a is is a separate disposal, potentially right. liable to tax as well. So um just to say that first and foremost, as regards the trying to um are trying to um assess whether it's regarded as a investment uh, type activity or a trading type activity. Um, what we've noticed is some uh, crypto investors they say, "Oh, well, I'm trading in crypto," but really they're not. That they're not really trading. They're just that labeling what they're doing as a trade. And um, I suppose what the what would be looked at in that scenario is all the historic case law and and, and these what we call the badges of trade. Um, you know, to, to to try and determine could there be a trade there. So really, if you are trading in, or if you if if you if if you want to. Put the argument forward that it's a trading activity you'd really be looking at the same kind of features as a sort of stockbroker would have for a you know for a, a, a share buying and selling activity obviously if you were if you were really where the advantage out of that would accrue would only be in a company structure when obviously when the the, the rates of tax and the rates of personal tax are so high on um trading profits from a you know from an unincorporated enterprise so um i suppose what i would say there is we do have some reasonably good guidance on that that i would be happy to share with any of the um any of the parties that uh, that, that are on the call or who may tune in later um we can share with them what like what we've done up on that and what they would need to i suppose consider if they did want to put forward a case for trading and obviously it would really be through mm -hmm. a corporate structure Mm. So potentially uh, profits on trading may be uh, treated in a, a tax advantage manner versus unincorporated investment income. So well, it, it would if you were unincorporated, it would actually be worse uh, okay. because you would be paying tax at marginal rates could be fifty odd yeah. percent, whereas the CGT rate right. is thirty three percent. I think what they might be thinking there of is if, yeah. if you had in a company situation and the company mm -hmm. was actively carrying on the trade and trying to get that mm -hmm. 12 and a half trading activity on the profit. But as I say, it, right. it's quite difficult to achieve that if you're a, a small scale sort of private operator doing it out mm -hmm. of your doing it out of your bedroom. But we can share right. the, 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 some reasonably good guidance we have on that sure. um, for anybody that wants yeah. it. Yeah. Right. And that'll be around what you mentioned earlier, the badges of trade, which is uh, derived from rich history of case law, which determines exactly. whether it's investment yeah. income or trading income. That's yeah. It. So these badges of trade, guys, are yeah. a, a a number of factors that they look yeah. that, that that you consider to determine, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether a trade could exist. And some of them are like, well, what was your actual motive? Like, is it speculative or, you know, and the extent to which the, mm -hmm. the activity is resource like as well? Like, have you got people mm -hmm. assisting you? And I suppose mm -hmm. how professional, how professional yeah. are you? How frequent are you transacting? So these are the factors that uh, that indicate uh, one way or the other. Wonderful. And moving down that list again. So for an Ireland company, and I guess some people have more than companies in different jurisdictions, and for whatever reason, they may want to get a certificate of residence for the company in, in Ireland. What are the normal substance requirements that the tax office would look for before they issue that? Certificate of residence. So this is actually this is actually yeah. an interesting one because 
Okay. One of the easiest jobs I can we, we, we can be tasked with is actually getting a certificate of residence uh, for an Irish company because yeah. literally what it's a case of doing is mm. logging on to the, the, what we call the Ross account, the online services account and clicking a button and it comes through there and then. Now, mm. what, like obviously just to maybe explain and, and, and to think this through a bit further, the mm-hmm. substance really is of more relevance from the actual corporation tax calculation itself and really to get the low corporate tax rate. That's where you need substance. The tax mm. office in Ireland will actually give you the certificate of residence without doing any check or without asking any questions as such. And the reason wow. for that is, is because it's an actual self-declaration process. So mm. you actually self-declare that you are a resident. Now, every mm. company by virtue of its incorporation is deemed to be tax resident in Ireland. And what can happen, sometimes people or companies, uh, they, 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 they want to cease to become Irish tax resident. And the way you have to do that is you have to actually make an election in another jurisdiction and actually be regarded as resident in that other jurisdiction before you can cease to be tax resident in Ireland. And that's by virtue of incorporation, you're automatically deemed resident in Ireland. As a final point to add to that, mm-hmm. if it's a case that you have, uh, let's sort of regard it as weak substance or little physical footprint on the ground in Ireland and uh, little or no management or control in here, um, mm-hmm. the tax authorities can raise a, a, you know, a, 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 an intervention or an audit or a, a question mark over the uh, corporate tax filings if the, if the tax is declared at the, at the trading rate. Um, and we've seen it before, like where they've done this, where they, you know, where they will raise an assessment and assess that the profits are actually should be classed as foreign profits because really there's no activity or there's no management or control on the ground in Ireland. And the difference between the two is foreign profits are actually taxable for corporation tax pro- uh, purposes at 25% and not 12.5%. So that's wow. more, that's of much more relevance from a substance point of view. Um, than just obtaining the actual um, certificate of residence, which is quite an easy process, which is quite an easy process to, to, to do. Okay, fantastic. Great to know. So I, I'm switching now to the questions that are on, on Zoom on this list here in Zoom. So Colleen is asking about a U.S. retirement account. So if someone, so I guess this goes back to the point, she she typed this when you when you had that slide up, about uh, non-domicile, right? So if it is that this retirement fund, this private retirement fund was accumulated while living in the US and now you've come over to, to Ireland and now you're receiving distributions from that fund, uh, how is it treated generally from a, from a tax perspective? Yeah, I, I think if, it's, um, if you're getting distributions out of it, it is classed, it is classed as income unfortunately so mm-hmm. if you are uh, depending on these your you know your your periodic pension payments to pay your and uh, fund your lifestyle in ireland yeah you may be caught there you may be caught there with that now i i'm i'm i we, we, we could check the treaty for you just to see if there is anything yeah. in it but that's my initial my initial thought on that one yeah so uh, normally in the 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 standard draft of the the treaty they do say that pensions will be taxed in one country only. So it so the, I guess the, the bottom line is it won't be double taxed, but 
uh, chances are, you know, it, yeah. you know, it, it, it will be taxed. And it, it will be dependent upon what your total taxable income in Ireland is. So if this was your mm -hmm. only taxable income in Ireland, it could mm -hmm. actually be quite advantageous for you because it's likely mm -hmm. you would pay little or no tax. But if you did mm -hmm. have um, other income, another income of significance, and it pushed um, it pushed mm. the distributions you got from this into the top into rate, then it would be yeah. yeah, then it would be more significant. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the bottom line is we probably need you need to sit with a, a tax professional because you want to know things like, for example, is it a Roth? or which is after tax income which has been invested is it a regular 401k which is pre-tax and then we need to look at the treaty as well as your domicile status in ireland but generally speaking these these are the kind of thoughts and conversations that we're factors that we need to yeah we need to go through yeah gotcha okay next question so deborah's asking i'm an i have irish citizenship from my grandparents I'm retired and I don't plan to work. What taxes would I face in spending more than 183 days in Ireland? So I assume by indicating, Deborah, that you have Irish citizenship and that you're Irish domicile. And unfortunately, if that's the case, you're um it's 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 not a it's not a favorable outcome or it's not pretty, you will be liable to tax on your worldwide worldwide income and gains if you're going to be resident and domiciled. Um, in Ireland, because you're domiciled, so because yeah. you're domiciled, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next question. This is from Declan Bryan. So, what is generally considered the residential status of a married couple where a husband is Irish, wife is American? This is very specific, but we we read it anyway. Uh, I'm just saying it's specific because we may not be able to answer it in this specific context but we can speak generally about it right so yeah. married couple husband irish wife american kids born in the u.s couple lived in the u.s for 20 years now everyone is in ireland for five years with kids enrolled in school in ireland right now uh they filed jointly i guess in the u.s can each spouse have different domicile ex despite having the same ordinary residence and well okay there's some yeah, yes is the answer to that yeah Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's that's good. And what can American wife do if she has American inheritance at this point? Any tax implications for inheritance? Yes. So wait till we let me just read this. Let me just read mm -hmm. this again. So okay. um the the wife is American and mm -hmm. she's lived in Ireland for five years. So she is five mm -hmm. years resident. So I think then she could be caught for the American inheritance. Now we'd need to get the breakdown yeah. of what's what, what's in that inheritance. Sure. But of course, as well, we would she would be entitled to, um, she would be entitled to the the thresholds and so forth that we have mm -hmm. the exemption thresholds. So depending mm -hmm. on who, um, on on her relationship with the, uh, the the disponer, um, like if she's a if she's a if if she's a daughter. She'll have 330 mm -hmm. odd K that she won't have to pay tax on, assuming she got no other gifts or inheritances from that person before. So mm -hmm. we'd need to have a look and see, but she's if she's resident for five consecutive years. So if it's the fifth year, she's actually mm -hmm. okay. But if it's the sixth year, uh, she would potentially then have exposure to Ireland in that. Mm -hmm. And we have to look and see what well, what is it she's actually going to be inheriting 
who is she inheriting from and kind of do the calculations and work it out. That's because in year six, you trigger some sort of Dean domicile. Essentially, yes. It's not classed as mm. Dean domicile. It's just a different mm. rule where if you're resident for five years, uh, for five years or, or for more than five years, I think it is, you're, 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 caught, um, you're caught with that. So the remittance, yeah, the remittance basis doesn't apply in that scenario. The remittance basis isn't applicable to capital acquisitions tax, which is the tax head that's, um, that's of relevance to this. Okay, gotcha. And just to throw in from a U.S. perspective, the estate is taxable, not the person who's the, the beneficiary or who's inheriting from the estate. There's no tax on the person receiving it. So it's on the estate. Just... Just throw that in. Uh, following on, uh, so again, Declan Bryan. So following on to the American wife, Irish husband, the dual citizen, living in Ireland five years, claiming the foreign tax credit. For, can any of us spend more than 30 days in a year without triggering IRS? So without triggering any US tax complications. So this is from, from the US perspective. So I guess they're referring to section 911 of the US tax code, foreign earned income exclusion. So you can qualify for the foreign earned income exclusion one of two ways. One, there's a bona fide residence test and the other is the physical presence test. The physical presence test, that's easier to understand because it's objective and it's quantitative. And that's a 30 days test. So do not stay in the US for more than 30 days. Otherwise, you would lose the foreign aid income exclusion if you were qualifying under physical presence. The other test, the bona fide residence test, that is subjective and it's qualitative. So it's more or less like a test of intent. Where's your heart? Where's your home? So if it is that you did qualify under that, and yes, you're staying more than 30 days, but you maintain that Ireland is still your home. You know, you still have uh, your property there that's available for you to use. You're still paying taxes. Maybe you still have a job there. Then you would still be able to benefit from the foreign income exclusion from the U.S. perspective, even though you've crossed the number of days. So it's really a test of facts and circumstances. And I would suggest that you speak with your preferred U.S. tax professional to, you know, just make sure that in, in terms of file planning, that you don't run afoul of the rules and lose that important benefit. So moving down. Uh, okay, Deborah, that's the last one. The, this is the last question because we're running out of time, right? So uh, the 140, so this will be for you, Damien. So the 140 day or the 183 day threshold contiguous days how do you view three months in, three months out, and stuff like that? Yeah, no, it's it's just over the uh, over the total year. So as I said, um, generally what people, what taxpayers do that, um, mm -hmm. have to watch their days, uh, and that like they'll have a record usually on Excel is as, is as handy as as any where you just track really, um, you just track where you're actually spending your days and just tot it up on Excel and that. So it's not continuous. It's 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 the total. It's the total, um, it's the total in the course of a year of assessment or over two years in the case of the look back. So the look back is 100 and you can do 140 um, in each, but you can do 160 and 110 and you're still not going to get caught with that. So I suppose mm. may, might not be best to just be fixated on the 140. You, you do have a bit of leeway with that if you're going to be out um, for more in one year than another as well. It's just that there, there is another trigger point to determine in your residence position as well. It's not just 183 days. 
in the current. So an Excel spreadsheet essentially just to, to, to keep track and record of it is the type of evidence that would be required supported by airline flights or boat tickets um, as well if it, if, if it came to it and you, if you had to substantiate your movements. Gotcha, gotcha. And I guess that probably arose because when Emma was speaking from an immigration point of view, to some extent, the clock does reset. But from a tax perspective, it doesn't for the, for the year. So I guess that may be where the, uh, the confusion may arise. But thank you very much, Damien and Emma, for, for you know fantastic overview and answering, not answering questions, but pointing people in the right direction in terms of the questions and concerns that they may have. Now, if someone wanted to reach you, Emma, Emma, what's the best way to find you? Um, if they connect on LinkedIn and send me a message, that's probably the easiest, or alternatively, email at emma.richmond at whitneymore.ie. So Emma, that's two M's dot Richmond at whitneymore.ie. That's it, yeah. Fantastic. And Damien, what's the best way to find you? Same with me. I'd be delighted for, to get any connections through LinkedIn and by email, of course, as well. If there's any follow-up queries, more than happy to, um, to answer. Damien at maloneaccountants.ie. We get through to me. Damien at maloneaccountants.ie yep. or Damien Malone on LinkedIn. Thank you very much. Have a very great good evening, day, depending on where you are. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.